Hey, you're listening to Burst Your Bubble. I'm Josh, and I've got Kyler here with me. We're here to bring you the sharpest sports takes. We have a very fun show today with a recap of day one from the PGA tournament and looking into winners throughout the weekend. Then we get into some interesting NBA security talk, and we wrap up the show with AFC North edition of Fantasy Football Friday, and Kyler tells you guys why Cleveland is the least attractive fantasy option there is in this division. Remember to stay plugged into our social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Burst Your Bubble. We're available everywhere you get your podcast. You can even get us on your Alexa devices. Remember to rate, review, and share us with your friends or literally anyone you know. Thanks for listening, and remember, no hard feelings, because more than likely, one of us will burst your bubble. Kyler, it's Friday, headed to another glorious weekend. Supposed to be great weather this weekend. Uh, Getting a little hot nowadays. Uh, I bet you had, uh, the kids you're covering are especially feeling the heat. How is Big Fire Baseball? Oh, it is on rocking, Josh. The weather is perfect, like you said. So, great weekend for some dingers. A lot of wind up here in Edmond, a lot of wind in Wichita, where one of the tournaments is. Uh, so, I'm really looking forward to that. I've got a tea time set for Sunday. Uh, things are going to wrap up on Saturday night. So, uh, I've got a bright and sunny weekend ahead of me. What about you, Josh? So, I've got some uh, some running around to do this weekend. Uh some things that I've got, nothing huge, but I uh, I think I am going to uh, get some golf in this weekend. I've got a buddy coming up. Uh, he's going to stay in town, so I think we're going to be able to uh, hit the golf course as a three or four some this weekend, so I actually might get my own tee time. Where at? Uh, so I got a nice little course right by the house called Cherokee Springs. I live about a mile from it. How, how, how long is it? Oh... So let's not even worry about that. Let's uh let's focus on what's your goal in your golf outing this weekend. So I'm going to try to be under 95. Okay, so I need you to forget that. I need you to be completely dedicated to every swing. Okay, I can do that. So I, I found another problem where I where I lose some strokes, okay? Where's it at? Oh, the course is 6,800 yards, by the way. See, that's a long course. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not an easy one. It's, fun, it's a fun course. You, whenever you come to Taqua, you have to come over and play it with me. It's fun. But uh, so this is where I lose some strokes. Every now and then, you know, I'm not the, the most accurate off the tee box. I'm kind of like Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, I can hit it, but it, you don't know where it's going to go. So uh, every, now and then, <laughs> every now and then, I'll get in between two trees. I'll have some good distance. Well, in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm not that far from the green, so I could probably eight or nine iron this over these trees, and I'll be just fine. Where in reality, I should probably take a four iron and just kind of put it through the trees and get myself in a safer spot. I go for the gold, and uh, I, I end up losing some strokes there most of the time. Josh, if you uh, a, a very uh, wise man once told me, uh, in order to gain the biscuit, you must risk it. And that's what I've been practicing, but yeah, unfortunately, it has not come to fruition yet. Um, so we will see what I what I try to do. It'll probably depend on uh, if adult beverages are flowing and how my confidence is uh, after about hole three or four. I'm telling you, Josh, stay dedicated to every swing. Don't worry about where the ball goes. Just worry about having a beautiful swing. You'll have a great day. You'll get better. That should be your goal. Your goal should be to get a little bit better. Well, my so that's why I said I want to break. I want to be under ninety five. Last time I played, I hit I hit a ninety eight. So that's how I want to get it under ninety five. 
you go out there and try and shoot under 95, you're going to shoot a 107. Trying to break 80. <laughs> so maybe I'll shoot a 97. But I'm excited. Uh, it's going to be a good weekend, a good weekend of golf. Great weather, great friends coming up. I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm, I need a break. Even though I just had a vacation, I need a vacation for my vacation. Yeah, I mean, uh, my mom texted me uh, this morning. She said, have a good Monday. You know, because uh, Thursdays are basically my new, the start of my work week nowadays. So I uh, only work a few days a week. So pretty, pretty uh, fortunate in that sense. But a lot of long days. And uh wish I could be playing golf with you, Josh. Wish I could head up to Tulsa and uh, join you on the links. Well, here in a couple of weeks, uh, we'll get together uh, either in Tahlequah or Tulsa. We'll get around and we'll uh, live tweet some of the some of the round, maybe a couple of videos here and there. Uh, I'll look forward to that maybe here in a couple of weeks. Sounds like a lot of fun. So uh, what do you want to get into first today, Josh? Not a lot of headlines. We can get into golf. Um, I've got a little bit of NBA headlines. What do you want to do? So uh, actually, real quick, I have uh, an NFL headline. Uh, I know that today's Fancy Football Friday. This isn't really fancy-wise. Uh, well, obviously, all NFL affects fancy football. But anyway, uh, NFL expects on-time start for training camps. I just think that this is big for where we're at right now with COVID-19 and the confidence from NFL. Now, I heard this take today, and I thought it was really good. If I was the NBA, I would absolutely – let NFL go first. I don't. I haven't looked at the schedules real close to know how how they line up. I know that they're they're very they're very close together. Um, I think NFL starts a little bit after NBA. But if I was the NBA and I had to push anything back or do anything, I would not feel bad about letting the NFL go first because if any league can handle bad press, it's the NFL. They deal with it all the time. And if any one of them can continue to deal with it, that's the one to do it. So, so what's the NFL bringing back that week? So it'd be uh, training camps? Yes. Uh, Which it is going to be way later. Like the start of the NFL season is September 10th. But uh, if we can get training camps in, I think that's a huge step for the NBA that they don't have to take first. Yeah, I think that's a huge step. Adam Silver would be happy to take too. Uh, his long legs wouldn't be that long of a step. But um, I, I definitely, that's a good call. Uh, do you think that uh, – I don't see that happening, though, Josh. I think training camps are – I mean, I mean, unless it, it turns into what we kind of talked about last episode where these guys are kind of just like, you know, let's go ahead and get it and get it over with, which, I mean, that, if you saw Tom Brady's Instagram posted uh, – Instagram story quoted uh, FDR in saying, the only thing to fear is fear itself uh, while, while drinking out of a hopefully not shared water bottle. Uh, so what do you what do you make of that, Josh? Do you think uh, Tom Brady is it, trying to get Corona? I do not think that he's trying to get Corona. I just think that uh, I like I kind of talked about last last episode. I think these guys are ready to play. I think uh, I think that they are just competitors. Especially if you're Tom Brady, we kind of talked about it with LeBron. Uh, you know, you're a little bit older in age. You want to get out there and uh, prove that you've still got it and compete to win a ship. So I think that's uh, that's what Tom Brady's speaking to. That competitive nature. I don't think that the NFL will start before the NBA, uh, although it would help them quite a bit, I think, the NBA out. I think it's just going to be really good to see these sports coming back to training camps, and it's a good, it's a positive note that the NFL is not postponing training camp at this moment. Uh, uh, so I'm going to disagree with you, Josh. I think that Tom Brady is trying to get corona. 
um, in the same sense that um, Denver Nuggets fans were happy to hear that Nikola Jokic had coronavirus or that he has tested positive. Um, he, you, know where he, you know when he cannot test positive? During the playoffs. That's well, a fact. Well, I would tell you this. If we are in the playoffs and we have NBA players newly testing positive for COVID-19, we will have a much bigger problem. And according to the NBA with their uh, security thing that came out today, there would probably be uh, someone in quite a bit of trouble. So let's get into that. Uh, so uh, first, I'll get into the dress code. Um, players no longer required to wear suits on the bench. Uh, obviously, we're going to be in a bubble. Um, no need to get as dressed up. So they're going to be allowed a little uh, more business casual, team business. Uh, so as far as the security, the NBA will use law enforcement, uh, not only on the state level, but also on the federal level, apparently. Uh, this is per report. And they will be responsible for uh, maintaining a closed perimeter around the campus. Um, however, it is unclear how those responsibilities will fall to uh, the team personnel or the law enforcement. So um, a little, still a little unclear to, um, you know, if the law enforcement could actually stop a player from leaving the bubble um, or if that would be on the actual team personnel. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see that, Josh. Uh, could, could arise some interesting situations. I really shouldn't even say interesting. It could arise some potentially very toxic situations. Yeah, so uh, the report did come out that the league's plan was no law enforcement inside the bubble and no, no law enforcement inside the campus. They would only be there to keep the bubble secure. So you have to think that this is more for keeping people out of the bubble than for yeah. them letting them go. I don't see any situation where the NBA would put it on law enforcement to keep players in much or more as they're trying to keep other people out of the bubble to keep the players safe while they're housed uh, in this situation. So I think that's going to be very important to watch. Also, some other security features. Uh, they're going to have some secured perimeters, technological security deployments, and a fusion center approach to threat intelligence. Yeah, I mean, God forbid there ever be, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, attack on any sort of American soil. But of course, you know, the NBA bubble, but it seems like anything like that would be found out pretty quickly and uh, destroyed, I would say. Yeah, so I was actually reading a little bit into it. So uh, the Fusion Center is a collaborative effort with two or more agencies basically to detect, prevent, investigate, and respond to these uh, activities if they were to occur. So it looks like this will be one of the more secure places in America uh, when these players get in the bubble. So that is very good to know that we can uh, trust where the players are at and that they will be safe. So here's a quote from ESPN. Uh, for any off-campus events that are organized for leisure purposes, league security will be supplemented by former Special Operations Forces personnel in order to provide a scalable safety bubble. A scalable safety bubble outside of the real bubble if players wanted to go somewhere for leisure activity. On-campus activities will be handled by individual team security. Well, let me tell you this, Kyler. I went to an event last weekend, and former special ops are cool, but until you see the security teams that are coming out of, like, Colorado that are, like, uh, contracted out security people, those 
men and women are so yoked and terrifying that there are some of these security people that I wouldn't think about messing with. I tried to befriend one. I did one gave me a fist bump, which was pretty cool, but they are terrifying. Honestly, I, the one thing that always made me uh, know that I could never do something like that is just how nerve, like it, it makes me a little nerve wrecked, nerve wrecked just thinking about doing that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. There's no way. No. Uh, yeah. It makes, makes my skin crawl. Yeah. Uh, just sitting there trying to scan a crowd and being like, Oh, well, you know, this person might be, uh, you know, I, I pass pass. So now that we're talking about the NBA, there's actually something I wanted to bring up. I think that you broke some news on our last episode. Uh, what was that? I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that you, uh, you called for your boy Trey Burke to go down to Dallas. Did he get signed? Well, no, he hasn't got, well, he hasn't gotten signed yet. Mavericks are, they are two signed Trey Burke. That was per ESPN. So uh, great call by you. I saw that a little bit ago. So this is after Willie Cauley-Stein decided to opt out. He's about to, he's expecting a baby pretty soon. And it looks like they're going to sign the 27-year-old Trey Burke, who was waived by the Sixers. Honestly, Josh, I'm, I'm really, really excited to watch the Mavs. I mean, we know Trey Burke is a baller. We saw him, uh, he, you know, he, he's hit big shots in his career, obviously going back to Michigan in that final four. Uh, and then we see Luka Doncic. I mean, in the playoff scenarios, I haven't seen him lose, um, you know, since he was probably 16 years old. Uh, you know, of course, he's probably only 19, 20 now. But this is his first playoff test in the NBA. I'm really excited to see him. I mean, you know, he is a baller. He's, a, he's got that killer instinct, you know, that he knows what it takes um, to avoid elimination at least. So hopefully we'll, we'll see that killer come out in Luka. But I did hear that he's a little bit out of shape. Yeah, Luka strikes me as a guy who's been uh, drinking Red Bull, eating – chips and playing video games for most of the night yeah his uh his trainer came out it was on a russian transcript interview that came out and he said it translated like uh luca's very out of shape and uh you know he obviously came out quickly and backtracked and saying you know luca isn't game ready but yeah josh you're exactly right luca's in there playing fortnite on his boat eating cheetos yeah he's just been enjoying quarantine enjoying the the covid lifestyle that's exactly what he was doing before the draft remember oh, yeah it is exactly he was on his boat for like yeah. two weeks playing Fortnite. he better be damn good by now i probably he he was quarantining before before anybody knew to quarantine what it's a just, smart man it's just a, another day in the office for luka Doncic. Well, you are uh, exactly right that the mavericks are going to be fun to watch and hopefully uh luka didn't lose a step because the man was absolutely killing it whenever the, the season was put on hold. So hopefully he can uh, regain some of that and get back in shape. Uh, maybe he's not going to be running out of breath up and down the floor. That is going to be crucial for the Mavericks to uh, compete in this playoff bubble. Here's what I don't get. Why are teams that are outside of the playoffs – I mean, I guess I understand why they can, like, wave and sign players, but why are they waving and signing players right I, I, I'm not just – I guess I'm not quite understanding why, why they're doing that. Well, you want to get some of those players in cheap while you can and have an opportunity to build with the team during the what's going to be their new offseason, put them through some of those mini camp drills that we've heard so much about coming up for some of those teams. So I think it's important to start to build a little bit of chemistry, find out if it's a good fit. I guess so. I just saw the Knicks picked up. Uh, they claimed Jared Harper. So uh, shout out to our boy Jared Harper trying to get him on the pod. 
so the Thunder plan to sign Devin Hall to a two-way deal, um, just like our boy Jared Harper. So uh, shout out to our boy Devin Hall out of Virginia. Uh, he, uh, the Thunder drafted him, right? Yes, they did. Yeah, so uh, they're going to sign him. He's going to be on the two-way deal like, uh, like Lou Dortz was. So, uh, so giving any uh, barring circumstances, Josh, hopefully we don't see Devin Hall. But uh, if we do, uh, you know, he's a great player. We are in good hands. Uh, what else do you have, Josh, or should we get into the PGA? So, well, real quick, I've got a couple more things. I'm glad that you brought up Lou Dort because I wanted to talk about his contract with the Thunder just for a second. The Thunder got this man on a steal. I get that it was a yeah. two-way contract and, you know, he's young and everything. Four years worth $5.4 million is absolutely incredible in 2020. That is a steal of a contract for a young player, and I think that the Thunder are going to absolutely benefit from this in the next few years. Yeah, and uh, another signing that I think is going to be significant, um, definitely in the bubble, the Spurs signed Tyler Zeller. Uh, Tyler Zeller is a, a solid big off the bench. He's a, you know, he's going to be the eighth man on, on any of these playoff teams right now. Um, I'm excited to see what the Spurs can do uh, in the limited time they have to make a move in the bubble. So my, my last headline here, Kyler, and then we can get into PGA it is a somber moment on the Burster Bubble podcast. It is a sad day today. Uh, 43-year-old Vince Carter announced his retirement on Winging It with Vince Carter podcast, saying he is officially done playing basketball professionally. This is a sad, sad day. What I will say is shout out to whoever it was in the Hawks organization that had the thoughtfulness to put Vince Carter in the game the final seconds right before quarantine so he could come in and knock down a tray ball to end yeah. his career. Yeah, and shout out to uh, Trey Young for getting him that pass. I mean, that was big on him. Uh, you know, Vince Carter was on the 10-11 Suns team. And, you know, you know how just massive of a Suns fan I am, Josh. And uh, if you're all – if you share the same affinity of the Suns as I do, if you're out there listening, uh, Amino Hassan and Mike Ryan have been breaking down um, those Suns years, you know, with Shaq and – Amari and uh, all those uh, really really fun s stories that come with uh, that come with those guys Lou Almondson and Mike D'Antoni was a coach he gets fired uh, bring in uh, Alvin Gentry just a lot of great stories there uh, so definitely go listen to that on, on the Lauer on the Love Tart Show. Vince Carter was an absolute champion for the NBA. Uh, he has done incredible things throughout his career. He's the only player to play to start a basketball game in four different decades. He's one – he could be notably the best dunker of all time. So it is a sad day, but we can uh, celebrate in the career that was Vince Carter, and uh, we'll continue to do that. I know that uh, every other day I'll get another uh, thing on my Twitter feed saying, this is when Vince Carter murdered two people on this dunk. This is when Vince Carter absolutely threw it down. So I get those yeah. all the time, and I look forward to continuing and to see those. He's also the perfect gift to tweet out on uh... – on Sundays way too early in the, in the four o'clock games when you have no idea who's actually going to win, but you know, the, the Seahawks go up three scores in the third quarter. So you tweet out the it's over, it's over. Absolutely. You will never get enough of Vince Carter. All right, Josh, let's get into some PGA talk. How about it? I'm so excited. So uh, first I just want to give a quick shout out to our social media pages. Make sure you go give them a, a quick follow, a quick share. Um, you know, share it with your friends via DM, share it, 
to your timelines. We appreciate that a lot. Uh, so let's get into it, Josh. Did you get to watch any of the uh, first round coverage? Yeah, I watched it for a little bit. Uh, not a whole lot, but I actually got some in, which uh, most of my I don't get any of it. But this time I did. I told you I was going to try to watch as much of this tournament as possible. And I did that today. So it was uh, it was actually entertaining today. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was. Uh, so another another complaint, Josh. I'm gonna come out with my complaints early. Uh, this uh, after the first round. Why can't we just watch the first round of the, of a golf tournament? Why can't we just turn on the golf channel, and from 9 a.m. until 2 p.m. when these guys are actually out there on the golf course playing? Why can't we? Why can't we see that? Why is it dedicated to like two hour time slots at a time, and then a two different documentaries in the middle and a morning drive. I, I don't get it. I, I, I want to watch the golf. I mean, we have so much more time, so much other time for all those other shows on every other day of the week where there's not a fucking tournament. Or why don't you, if you want to be able to air other things, why don't you break up those contracts? Let Golf Channel play it for two hours. Let CBS play it for two hours. Let ABC play it for two hours. And just, you know, move around as much NBC to play for two hours. Let's just move it around as much as you need to to have golf on all day when there's a tournament. I mean, or just uh, make it where, make it on like a live stream. You know what I mean? Make it on the app. Make it where it's just always available. I, I don't know, Josh. It's There I, has to be I, an answer. I, I even pay, I, Josh, I pay money for this. I pay money. Physical money comes out of my account for me to be able to watch golf when there's live golf on. And still, it's like every fucking time there's a tournament on TV, I'm, I'm finding myself not being able to watch it. Yeah, that is super frustrating, especially when there's uh, money involved going into be, uh, supposed to be able to watch golf. We've been harping on it and harping on it. Uh, maybe someone eventually will listen to what we have to say to fix it. So, uh, Matt Hughes shot a 60 today. A 60 today. That is incredible. He had a, he had a putt for 59 on, on number 18, so it was actually number nine. Yeah, Mac Hughes, what an – so I was actually getting ready and I was looking at the, the scores uh, towards the end of the day, and I was like, what the hell? Because, uh, you know, you see three, 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 four, 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 five, five, six, seven, ten, twelve. Yeah, that's the, – Well, the ten was – the ten for Mac Hughes was as low as it went, but it was just like out of nowhere there's just a low fucking score that no one else is going to be able to match. Well, yeah, uh, right out of the gate, nobody's going to be able to fire a 60 like that. But I told you, Josh, uh, on Wednesday that this – it's a par 70 course. Um, it's not uh, – it's pretty easy to score on. It's a tough course, but it's easy to score if you're, if you're hitting the ball in the right places. And today, Matt Hughes was, and he scored. And uh, so, uh, like I said, you know, it's a par 70. So, we're going to see, uh, you know, a 10 under is, is a 60. So, I, I think a 59, 58 watch is definitely in the cards. Yeah, if Matt Hughes did it day one, uh, definitely look for some of these guys who played in the afternoon today when the course stiffened up a little bit. If they get the, uh, if they get before the breeze when the course is still playing a little soft, they absolutely have a chance to score that. So uh, one thing I did want to point out before we get in uh, more on the leaders, uh, Colin Morikawa, he has a streak of, I think, 22 or 23 um, straight made cuts on tour. He hasn't missed a cut in 23 straight events, 22 straight events, and he's only 21 years old. Um, now, Josh, you guessed previously who holds that record. Um, do you remember? Absolutely, the cat. 
the cat holds in at, tw- at 25. 25 straight made cuts. Colin Morikawa was plus one after day one. Not looking good. Better uh, knock on some wood for a boy Morikawa over there. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, then we we talked about how low the leaders are. So uh, I'm not quite sure where the where the cut line is going to be, but I imagine it's going to be probably at least man three, four under. Yeah, looking at this, I would assume it's going to be right there at three to four, somewhere right into there. That's going to be a he's going to need to make some real strides tomorrow today. Well, he's gonna, I mean, he can do it. I mean, if he if he comes out like I said, I mean, uh, you know, a good day on this course is a 63, 64. For these guys, so it's it's really doable. He just needs to come out. Uh, he looked really lethargic today. I think uh, Nick Faldo actually used that word. Um, he looked just a little a little dead out there, you know. Uh, and I actually saw JT. Man, JT they shot JT came up for an interview, and he man he was pale and like he was like man he wasn't wearing a hat and like his eyes were bloodshot. And I'm like, man, can we get JT a fucking corona test? At least an oxygen bag. My God, somebody helped this man out. No, he definitely looked like he had Corona right then. He shot one over today, so maybe that had a lot to do with a lot to do with. It, excuse me. Um, so Rory, he played fantastic today, Josh, and I've got uh, something to tell you. Put all your money on Rory. All of your money, go put it on Rory. He played fantastic today, and I mean, I think this is going to be one of those tournaments where. Uh, you know, because Roy has a couple of those a year where it's, it's he just, from the start, he is playing better than everyone else. Um, and I think he, he did that today. I think he even played better than Mac Hughes. So, uh, Rory's my pick. I, go put all of your money on Roy. He's going to win this golf tournament. I will say this. That is the smart money. The smart money is on Rory. And you cannot blame anyone who goes and puts money on Roy McIlroy going into, uh, into the weekend here. That's, that is where your money should be going if you're wanting to, to make the smart play. So I will give you this stat. Only six people in the traveler in the Travelers Championship history, only six people have went on to win the tournament after leading day one. Okay. So not good for Mac Hughes. No, definitely not. So uh so stay away from putting your money on Mac Hughes. Uh if you're me, I'm I'm actually gonna go with someone a little bit further down the board. Uh and I, I mentioned him all the time and he kind of screwed me. Uh, last week, I mean, I still picked the correct winner, but he was one of my top two or three. Uh, and I'm going to go John Rom. John Rom, crazy man. I'm going with Rom. He's four under right now, tied for 17th. He's got to make up a little bit of ground. Uh, but if I'm if I'm having to put money on one person, that's where I'm putting my money going into the weekend. Have you read this story about? Uh, there's a really good article about him um, work. Or it's, it's really funny, I should say. Uh, him working with. Uh, bomb detonators no so like he he worked with uh he wanted to meet up with and did meet up with uh guys you know guys who worked with like the u worked for the u.s government and their job is to uh not detonate bombs so what would, what would be the opposite of detonate diffuse diffuse bombs so he, he met with them to see how they how they remained cool and calm in those situations because John Rom has no fucking clue on how to do that. And he even he thought, yeah, well, maybe I can ask these guys. Maybe they can teach me. It, no, John, just calm down, man. Breathe. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, he has a temperamental character. He is uh he has a little bit of problem controlling that frustration, and that is uh that's that is evident. Did you see that tee shot by Rory today? On I think it was seventeen, so it might have been number eight. It was either number eight or number seventeen. So he absolutely cut the corner on this. Uh, it was a long par four. And Josh, it just it kept flying and flying and flying and flying. And right when he hit it, he kind of smiled. And you know, you just saw it kind of flying into the trees, um, heading towards the fairway, towards a hole, and it just pops up on the fairway. I think it was a 364-yard carry. My God, you know he was just happy with himself, staring Bryson down. Oh, it was an absolute missile. And Bryson got up. Uh, I think Bryson actually hit iron on that hole. But Bryson did, uh, man, I think his driving accuracy was in the 50s today. I know that he was hitting it so damn far. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was, he was hitting, I think his average was 324, but I think, his, I think he only hit, I think, four fairways. And that's a problem, Bryson. You're strong. We get it. You're big. We know. Calm down. Get a little bit of accuracy in there. Because if you do, you're going to win this tournament. I mean, the thing is, he still shot five under. I know. I, no bogeys. It, and that's, but that's what, that is how scary this man can be. If he can get that accuracy just a little bit better, if he can go from 50 to, from 50% to 70%. If he can, if he can get the 70%, a 70% clip, that's where his average is. He will be the most dominant player on tour and it won't be close. Absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree. You can't, you cannot argue that. And listen, I think, and honestly, right now, the way Bryson is playing right now and the trajectory he's on and uh, the, his past, you know, I would say three or four tournaments, I would say Bryson is well on his way to becoming the number one golfer in the world. It would shock me if Bryson DeChambeau doesn't at least have that on his name for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, who, who has it? Rory has it right now, right? Yeah, man, he's playing like it. Yeah, and um, our board Patrick Cantlay, uh, he, he came out firing today, but then he, I think he fell off, didn't he? Uh, he's at four under. Yeah, I mean, he's right down there with, uh, with Rom and some other guys right in that. There's quite a few of them that are four under right now. Yeah, so uh, also Phil played well today, and Phil also made some headlines uh, talking about the 20 uh, – or talking about the U.S. Open, saying um, how he would only go if uh, he earned a spot. And, you know, he would not – he definitely would not take a spot in the field away from um, another player who deserved it just because, uh, you know, Phil would be the big name. He would be a big draw for TV viewers. Um, and he is, of course, chasing that career grand slam. He is still uh, missing that U.S. Open. Uh, so obviously we want Phil there, but Phil says if he's not, if it's not earned, then he's not going to show up. Respect to Phil for that respect, mad respect. That is, that's a great call. You know, put the pride aside for a second and let the players play. If you're one, of, if you're one of the best or if you deserve it, absolutely go and win. But if you're not, let somebody else take their opportunity. I'm not quite sure how sponsors exemptions work, but I mean, Phil would obviously be granted one and be given one. But uh, I'm, I'm not sure how that works as far as um, if that takes anything or if he's just an added guy or if it – I'm not sure how it works with the field. I'm not either, but a couple other guys, uh, you know, right around the top of the board. Uh, Victor, Victor Hovland. Yeah, my boy. Man, he played good today. He got hot on the back nine. He, he was struggling a little bit at first. My boy Ryan, he said, man, where's your boy from O, o State? Victor Hovland. 
I said, well, hell, let me give him a call real quick. Tell him to, uh, tell him to get that, get that putter, get that putter, uh, heated up a little bit, get it working. And he definitely did on the back nine. I mean, he made, I think five or six birdies on the back nine. Yeah. He played well to finish out the, the course. I think he's going to fall off a little bit, uh, tomorrow and through the weekend, but, uh, you probably won't see him, his name in the top four by the end of the tournament, but he, he did end up getting some, some real momentum yesterday going into today. So, uh, you can definitely look for that name in the headlines. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised, Josh, if he was in the top, top three, top four at all. I mean, he's a, he's a PGA Tour winner. I mean, he's, he's a very, very – I mean, one of the, obviously one of the best golfers in the world. So, I mean, wouldn't be shocked at all if he won it. But actually, I would because uh, Rory McIlroy is going to win this golf tournament at 24 under par. Whew. Whew. I'm not even sure if that gets it done, to be honest. Yeah, I don't – Especially looking at a 10 under from the first day. Yeah, but you got to think, like, where's that? Everybody else is right around six or seven, and this is on Thursday. So, uh, yeah, maybe on, uh, maybe on Saturday the average will be around eight or nine under. But uh, maybe I think on Sunday it's going to drop down to right around five or six under. So, uh, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think right around 24, 25 under wins it. Well, I'm looking forward to it. That's why I love doing these uh, these little previews after day one so we get to see how everything's played out after the first day and uh, kind of look at it for this. So I know you, you're putting all your money on Rory, and I've got John Rahm as uh, where my money's going. Let's both pick two more guys uh, after day one like we normally do, and uh, we'll see how, we, how it works out for us. All right, go ahead. You, you're the winner. Well, I'm going to go ahead and take uh, – I'm going to take your boy. I had him in my top three. I'm going to keep him there. Bryson DeChambeau is uh, is going to be my, my next one. Okay. Is it my turn? Yep. Xander. Xander played lights out today. He made putt after putt after putt. And Xander is – man, fuck. He, he could win this golf tournament. He did play really good. I can't believe we didn't even talk about him. Uh, in the top three, seven under – or tied for that second place to seven under – he played really good. He's looked good for the past few oh, weeks. Man. Listen to this. 83% of his greens were in regulation. In those, in those instances, he had 1.5 putts. Nine birdies, two bogeys. Yeah, he's – yeah. Give me – put the money on Xander. Yeah, that is, uh, that is very impressive. All right, well, my last pick is going to be Sergio Garcia. Ooh, Sergio. Yeah, he's uh, sitting tied for fifth, six under right now. So uh, I, I'm not picking even close to the top. Maybe that's going to be a mistake, but we'll see how it plays out. It's a bold move, Cotton. So uh, here's my bold move of the day, Josh. It's uh, Jordan Spieth. Uh, he came out hot today. He came out, I think, five or six birdies on the uh, on the front nine, maybe four or five. And then after that, he, he came just fell a little flat on the back nine. Maybe things got a little uh, dried out out there, and they're just a little different than uh, – then they were on the front nine. I think that might have might have affected him, but a little better, a little more favorable tee time for Jordan tomorrow. I look for him to really move up that leaderboard. I think he'll get to ten or eleven under par tomorrow or today, I should say. Um, so uh, look for him on the weekend. I think he's going to be in one of those final groups come Sunday. Great call. Can never count speed out. So, like you said, Josh, that was a fun uh, PGA breakdown. I like you're. You're looking forward to uh, finally getting to watch some golf this weekend. Of course, I'm going to be watching every swing of it uh, in the background. Uh, we've got a really fun Fantasy Football Friday coming up. Uh, Josh, I'm going to tell you why the Browns are not even 
the third most favorable fantasy match or fantasy team in this division. Uh, but before that, you have an ad. Caller, I know how much we both have loved what Anchor has given us as a podcasting platform. Ladies and gents, if you haven't heard of Anchor yet, you're missing out. Most importantly, it's free. Anchor gives you the ability to edit and upload your podcast directly from your phone to get anywhere you can get your podcast. Apple Music, Spotify, it'll be there. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listeners. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. So Fantasy Football Friday is back, Josh. I know you really love Fantasy Football Fridays. I know uh, you're really the really the uh, my football go-to. Um, you know, if I have a, especially a fantasy question, I go straight to you and I ask it. I, and I'm, you know, expect a really thoughtful and a really um, educated answer. Uh, just because that's that's really your expertise in this in this whole uh, in this whole thing we're doing here. So, uh, but I'm really excited about this one today, and I'm I'm gonna tell you why because I'm excited to shit on the Browns and Baker Mayfield. So let's go ahead and start with them. So we always start with the bottom, uh, work our way up to the top of the division. Let's start with the Browns. How about it? All right, yeah, that works. I don't think uh, that the we're definitely having a difference of opinion. I don't think the Browns are at the bottom of this, but. I am down to break it down. So, obviously, let's start at the quarterback position, which is your quarterback from Oklahoma, Mr. Fun Guy, Baker Mayfield. So, Baker Mayfield has added competition and a veteran presence with Case Keenum, which is good for Baker. Baker Mayfield also, we've talked about it before on the show, a lot of people say that this is his make-it-or-break-it year. If he doesn't perform this year, then he's basically a wash. And I disagree with that. I don't think that's the case. I think that Baker Mayfield has some room for error. He yeah, had, he's, he he's in a system. He's, uh, he should have a strong coaching staff behind him, uh, which is a lot better but than – But if he doesn't, they'll fire them and get Baker a new coaching staff next year. Well, hopefully not. Hopefully, uh, even if they go, uh, you know, 8-8 eight and eight or whatever it is, that they keep the coaching staff on and let them have a, a second year with the same – Staff, a little bit of stability in an organization is very important. And some other things to note is that Baker Mayfield, we'll get into a little bit, has added weapons. He has been working on footwork. He slimmed up a little bit. And one thing for Baker Mayfield heading into this season, he I have not seen him in 30-plus TV commercials, which is huge for Baker Mayfield and the fact that he has uh, maybe got humbled a little bit after last season and took the offseason to – work on his game and train a little bit, which is what we can hope. I am confident in Baker Mayfield heading into 2020 season and as my quarterback. I'm less confident in him than you are, um, but he is, like I said, my fourth quarterback in this league or in this division. Uh, 21 interceptions last year, only behind Jameis Winston. Unacceptable. I mean, that's a lot less than mediocre. Uh, but, you know, with Kevin Stefanski coming in, um, he's supposed to be a really good offensive-minded coach. Uh, he runs a lot of play action, runs a lot of two tight end sets. So should help Baker out a lot there, uh, really open up the middle of the field, really should, uh, I mean, help him out in the red zone a lot. But, uh, I mean, the thing, with, the thing with it is, Josh, I mean, we'll get into it in just a second. The reason I'm so low on the Browns is because they have so much talent. They have so much talent here, and including one of the biggest superstars in the NFL in Odell Beckham Jr., who demands the ball, who demands, you know, greatness, who, who really, 
who really, uh, especially this year after, you know, so many years of media mediocrity, I think this year, especially Odell is going to want a breakout season again, want a really superstar like season. And I mean, that's going to be all on Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski. Cause if Kevin Stefanski is such a good coach, win a goddamn football game. Yeah. So, and I think that you hit it on the head that there are so many weapons in Cleveland, which makes Baker Mayfield such an exciting option at the quarterback position. Like you said, like I said, he's got this year to really uh, take a step forward, which I think that he will. Uh, and also he has a, an even more shorthanded tight end that they talk, that they added. We'll get into all of his weapons and something else that they did was uh, as an offensive tackle in the draft, he's going to come in and make a, an immediate impact. So uh, Baker's going to have some, some good, uh, some good protection there on the offensive line on that blind side. So, I'm I'm very excited about Baker. Let's get into the weapons a little bit. You like him as a as a QB one, real quick. You like him as a consistent QB one. Uh, in redraft, no. Uh, in redraft, he's a high QB two for me. But in dynasty, I am taking Baker Mayfield uh, as a mid yeah. to low QB one. I'd say keep keep him on your dynasty team. Yeah, but in redraft, he's definitely going to be my backup. Uh, he might be. He's my backup. He's a starting quarterback with that many weapons. Yeah. He, after week two, if yeah. he's not on it someone's is. team, they will be picking him up. And, I mean, if you – honestly, if you want to take a flyer on Baker Mayfield, if you feel as confident as Josh does, then, I mean, a lot of weapons there, Josh. A lot of people to throw to. Absolutely. And something else that, uh, that Stefanski loves is his running backs. He loves to run the football, yeah. which uh, a lot of people say that this could hamper Baker Mayfield's uh, fantasy production. I completely disagree. I think that you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt as the uh, two running backs in that order. Nick Chubb is going to uh, get a commanding share of the football uh, on the ground. Kareem Hunt will be there uh, as a wonderful pass-catching option. We saw it in Kansas City, and I think that you're going to see Baker Mayfield target Kareem Hunt a lot out of the backfield, and he's going to be a wonderful PPR running back uh, on this football team. So Nick Chubb is also going to be a stud. Uh, he's going to get his touches. He's going to also catch the ball in some situations. This is going to be an extremely dynamic one-two punch, which takes fancy value away uh, from more of the other. So it makes both of them, uh, you know, a little less valuable. I still have Nick Chubb as an RB1. Kareem Hunt is an RB2. Uh, high RB2, low RB1 in PPR leagues. I really do think that they are going to target the running backs a lot in this offense. So I would probably actually flip those. Um, I would probably put Nick Chubb as my high RB2 just because I think, I mean, we're, Josh, he's one ankle twist, calf strain. Uh, he's, you know, one of those away from uh, Kareem Hunt stepping into this lead role. And, you know, Josh, when was the last time we saw a, a healthy Kareem Hunt in a full season? It's been a long time. Well, I mean, you know, Kareem Hunt hasn't been in the league that long, but I think his that's biggest... What, that's what I mean. So it, it's been a long time since, we, since we've seen him um, in a system that he knew in a full offseason. So if we see him like that with the Browns this entire offseason in a system that he will know going into the season, I think that he's a very dangerous threat to take over that starting job. Yeah, I think the, the interesting thing to watch here is the is the split in carries between Chubb and Hunt. I think it's going to be extremely close because they are both so dynamic. I think that they're, they have two really good running backs uh, coming in for the entire season, like you said, had an offseason to train, do the workouts. So you're going to be able to see this, and it's going to be a very exciting 
running back position. Like I said, it definitely hurts her uh, value a little bit fantasy-wise, but I think not enough to really stop you from drafting either of those players. So, I mean, real quick, you would definitely rather take – so I would, but uh, I was prefacing with that. I would definitely rather take uh, the Browns quarterback running back tandem over the 49ers quarterback running back tandem of last year. Absolutely, yes. No question. No question. Yeah, you you were looking at a four-person committee in San Francisco last year, and you're looking at a one-two punch in Cleveland this year. So, yeah, that's a no-brainer in my opinion. How do you? What about Baker versus uh, Jimmy G? I'm going with Baker just because of the all the weapons that were added, and Debo Samuel just uh, got injured for the 49ers. So I think that takes a little bit away from Jimmy G having to throw to another rookie. So I'm I would give the edge to Baker. All right, let's get into some of these dynamic wide receivers and pass catchers that the Cleveland Browns have. Obviously, number one is Odell Beckham Jr. He just got uh, 100% cleared from the injury that he had last year, quote-unquote injury, however you want to look at it. He, uh, The report came out that he is healthy, he is ready to go, and he is looking to command the football and making it, make it a great impact on the football field. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Josh, I think this is going to be a season where Odell really comes out and uh, demands greatness um, from himself and from his teammates. And I think that if he won't, if he doesn't get it, if something happens and, you know, this team sort of implodes again, I, I don't think Odell will finish week seven on this team. I think he will, he will want out and he will get out. Yeah, that's, you know, Odell has that, uh, has that diva mentality a little bit. I don't want to say diva, but that's the best word I can come up with. If if they are playing bad, he you know he will try to get out of there more than likely. Well, I mean, I think it's just more that he understands his worth. I think he just knows that man. I am the best wide receiver in the NFL. I'm the best pass catcher in the NFL, and I have been for the past five years. I mean, that's what Odell thinks. That's what Odell wakes up and tells himself every morning. And I'm stuck on an eight and eighteen year in and year out yeah well he now he's in an eight name team whenever he was with the Giants they weren't even that lucky but I I I can see that and I hope the best for the Browns this year I think that they are going to make a a very vast improvement from eight and eight uh I say vast I mean they're already eight and eight I think that I had them at a 10 wins I think so it's going to get better for the Browns It's, it's going to get better Odell will play better Baker will play better so I'm everything positive for Odell Beckham Jr. I am high on Odell um, but, you know, with the same thing that we talk about with this entire team, I talked about it with Dallas, there are so many weapons, spreading the love around is going to be critical, but Odell Beckham does have a great uh, target share, and Baker will continue to throw the football up to Odell. That is probably something that they've been working on, chemistry has been worked on, but another person that uh, is going to get targets and is, you know, a, a great wide receiver too here is going to be Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry and Baker Mayfield, I think, had better chemistry than him and Odell did. Uh, Baker loves throwing to Landry, and Landry proved that he can go up, catch the football, and make some plays happen. So I'm definitely looking at Jarvis Landry in, uh, in some of those mid to late rounds as a wide receiver two, wide receiver three. Yeah, I mean, um, I've got him as a wide receiver two for sure. Uh, Jarvis Landry just kind of fits Baker Mayfield a little more than Odell, huh? I mean, Odell is more of the – more of the big play wide receiver where Jarvis Landry is the catch it over the middle for eight yards. 
And that's what Baker, that's what Baker, um, especially in, in these, what last year and I think this coming year for sure, I think that's what he's going to need. See, I completely disagree. I think that, I think that with the system Baker was in last year with him making him throw those short eight to 12 yard passes, I think it, I think it held Baker back quite a bit. I think that you're going to be able to see two different running backs opening the field for Baker Mayfield to absolutely launch it to Odell Beckham uh, in crazy situations where we kind of seen, uh, saw Jameis do it with Mike Evans. I think you're going to see that with Baker Mayfield with a little bit more accuracy. And I think Baker Mayfield is going to launch the football. What, what, what makes you think that he's going to have more accuracy? He threw 21 picks last year. From 8 to 12, most of those, if you look, they were 8 to 12 yards and, and quite a few of them were drops. If you, if you are throwing interceptions 8 to 12 yards, do something different. I think that Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are going to be able to pick up yardage on the ground. Those were in the red zone. Open up the play, open up play action for Baker to get those uh, deeper passes. Uh, well, how many were red zone interceptions? Do you know? Uh, I don't have that number in front of me. I think uh, Nick Chubb, I, I imagine a few of them at least, but I think uh, Nick Chubb and uh, Kareem Hunt are really going to help in that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. And someone else who's going to help in that aspect uh, is Austin Hooper. The addition of Austin Hooper is huge for Baker Mayfield. This is a tight end who is an extremely reliable, top-tier tight end, and he's going to catch balls. He's going to get first downs. This addition is huge for Baker Mayfield. So, I mean, they, they gave him the bag. They backed up, backed up the Brinks truck. Uh, but, I mean, we, you, got, you have to take into consideration that uh, who, who Austin Hooper had throwing him the ball. And that's a Hall of Fame quarterback in Matt Ryan. Um, so, you know, obviously Baker is a is a you know an elite NFL talent, but uh, he's he's not Matt Ryan, at least not yet. So uh, it will be inter- interesting to see how Austin Hooper fits into this. And he's obviously the tight end one from from day one. Um, obviously one of the top tight ends um, to be drafted uh, in redraft leagues for sure. Uh, but how do you how does David Njoku fit in, in, into all of this? So what really hurt David Njoku was his injury coming, and he's going to have to come back from that, uh, build himself back up. I think that you're going to see a diminished role for David Njoku. He's going to see, uh, you know, a little bit of work goal line. He'll probably come in for uh, uh, for some pass blocking a little bit. But David Njoku is young and athletic. He's only 23 years old, and he is an athletic uh, guy. He's going to be able to go up and make some plays every now and then. But the majority of this work is going to go to Austin Hooper, you will see a very diminished role for David Njoku uh, in 2020. I think if uh, David Njoku is healthy by week three, uh, he will be traded. Uh, I don't know that they'll trade him. I think that you're kind of going to kind of see um, what they did with Tampa Bay with Cameron Brait and OJ Howard, or uh, flipped OJ Howard and Cameron Brait. Where, uh, and that was, and that's even a little bit optimistic for the work that David Njoku would get. Um, Cameron Bray saw a diminished role last year for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I think that it's going to be even smaller for David Njoku. I think they'll keep him on the team just for depth, because if you look at it, uh, you know, he is he is very young, um, and, he, and he's a great tight end that, uh, you know, they can do. I don't think that they'll move him in the season. That might be someone that they move in the offseason. But another thing to look at for this Browns team, Kyler, the two oldest skill players – Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry are 27. Other than that, none of these people we've mentioned are over 25. Wow. This is a young, exciting football team. Well, who's 27? Odell and who? Jarvis. Wow. 
Other than that, no one is over the age of 25. Wow. That's crazy. All right, so uh, that's all I got on the Browns, Josh. Let's, uh, we probably went a little long on them. Uh, so let's move on to the Bengals. Uh, real quick, let's get on. Uh, so I'm high on Joe Burrow. I think he's going to throw for a ton of yards. I think they're going to give him complete trust this year. Uh, I mean, obviously, they're just going to, you know, give him the reins, say, you know, go be, go be great. And we're going to see it. We're going to see him either shine or fall flat on his face. And I think he's going to have a pretty, uh, a pretty sustainable rookie year. Yeah, I think he's going to have a really good rookie year uh, from a fantasy perspective, uh, especially. I think you're going to see a lot of Joe Burrow. He's going to look like Baker Mayfield did his rookie year. Baker Mayfield set the record for touchdowns by a rookie. I think that Joe Burrow is probably going to come in and break that record. Joe Burrow is going to have – he's going to – stat-wise, number-wise, Joe Burrow is going to have a really good year for a rookie quarterback. I'm not trusting him enough to draft him early by any means uh, unless you're doing uh, a dynasty – uh, rookie draft, which you've probably already done at this point. I would definitely uh, take him early, early, early. Uh, first or second pick overall, I would take him first just because I am high for him long term. Joe Burrow will have a very good year. I'm looking at him as a uh, high QB2 in redraft. Uh, you said a high QB2 in redraft? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess I could agree with that. Um, you know, really just hope for those uh, for those random – really high scoring games yeah well I mean he's he's got a couple of things that uh that I think will help him uh that we'll get into here in a second but I'm I don't think he's going to come out and be a Dak Prescott or a Matt Ryan in fantasy or Russell Wilson but he's going to be one of those consistent kind of guys that's going to put up some pretty decent numbers each week yeah and I think uh a couple of those weeks he's going to have, you know, five, six, maybe even seven touchdowns. Uh, but I think a lot, a guy who's going to be getting a lot of those touchdowns, um, actually taking it away from Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon. I think uh, Joe Mixon is going to have a fantastic year. I've actually got him on my uh, dynasty league. Um, I, you know, I do kind of have my doubts, but uh, I, just because of the injuries, it kind of seems that Joe Mixon, uh, maybe has a little trouble staying on the field, um, you know, for various different reasons, but I, I'm, I'm really high on Joe Mixon this season, Josh. How do you feel about that? So this is going to be something to monitor for Joe Mixon. He is currently in talks of a holdout. He is one like Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara who are looking for new restructured deals and Joe Mixon wants to get paid a little bit of money and that he hasn't come out and said that he's going to hold out yet but this is something to monitor. Uh, and it, the only reason I say this is because Dalvin Cook already announced that he was going to plan a holdout. So if Joe Mixon does, that is going to severely, uh, obviously, cut his fantasy production. But if Joe Mixon does play the entire season, I am also very high on Joe Mixon. I The only person that's even going to really uh, compete with touches is Gio, in my opinion. And uh, Gio is a great pass catching back, but Joe Mixon is a complete running back who will have uh, a great year. Uh, the Bengals add a little bit on that offensive line as well, so you're going to see a little bit more protection, a little bit more running from Joe Mixon. He will absolutely take away touchdowns from Joe Burrow, especially in those short yardage situations. I am high on Joe Mixon, but if you need a great handcuff or someone to bank on, I am definitely picking up Geo in case Joe Mixon decides to hold out. That's a great call. I'll definitely be looking for that in my dynasty league for sure. Uh, but uh, looking back on Joe Mixon for a second, I'm reading an article here that says um, his pay raise is now, quote, this is from The Athletic, exponentially more complicated, 
comma unlikely. So yeah, this that's what this is a very serious situation that needs to be monitored for Joe Mixon to announce a holdout. Uh, Dalvin Cook was the first domino to fall, and what we could potentially see three or four very high name, very high profile running backs to start a holdout coming into the 2020 season. So the top three questions asked um, about Joe Mixon are: Is Joe Mixon good? Did Joe Mixon get hurt? And how much does Joe Mixon make? So I imagine those are the, definitely the uh, three most frequent questions asked about Joe Mixon on Sundays by fantasy owners. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, like I said, it's going to be something to monitor getting a little bit closer to the season. I hope that the Mingos can work out a deal, but we've seen in the past, they don't, people don't pay running backs. No, they don't. So uh, let's move on to the wide receivers real quick. Um, how do you feel about AJ Green? Injuries, injuries are a problem, but he's had, he had an entire season to rest, an entire season to uh, work himself back up. I think that you are going to see a great season from A.J. Green in redraft. I, I'm actually very high on A.J. Green. I think he's going to be the, the number one receiver on this team, and I couldn't expect more things from A.J. Green. People forget how dominant he is on the football field. He's a great wide receiver when healthy, one of the best. I'm telling you, if A.J. Green comes out this season um, as half uh, – I won't even say half. Just uh, if he comes out as a healthy A.J. Green and comes out uh, and really is the number one wide receiver on this team, they will have just as good as any receiving core in the National Football League. They will have a strong case to make for it. Uh, they have some really good weapons. A.J. Green is a sure-handed guy. He is going to catch the football – on the sideline, be able to get some toes down. He is that guy that will catch the ball. Uh, Tyler Boyd is the wide receiver two on this team. Tyler Boyd, I think, is going to – I think Tyler Boyd will benefit the most out of this wide receiving core from the addition of T. Higgins and John Ross also being there. I think that everyone else is going to open up things for Boyd. Most of the time you'll see the second-best cornerback on him, and I think he's going to be able to absolutely torch teams this year. So I'm looking for Tyler Boyd to take a gigantic step forward in his third year. Yeah, I mean, and you could even make the argument that, I mean, uh, Tyler Boyd is your number one wide receiver. And, uh, you know, if, if um, A.J. Green is just a little bit nicked up in the first, you know, six, eight weeks, that T. Higgins really explodes or really comes to his own in those first six, eight weeks. And when A.J. Green does come back, I mean, think how lethal that receiving core would be then. Um, John Ross, uh, people may forget this, Josh. He's only in his fourth year in the league. He's entering his fourth year in the league. Um, and he was actually having a really brilliant, 2019 season before it was hampered by some injuries so um, yeah like I said Josh if this team can stay healthy I think they're not only the best wide receiver core in this division but probably one of the best in the NFL so I definitely don't think they're the best in the division I think the Browns have a strong case for that uh, with Jarvis Odell I disagree and uh, so I mean not if if AJ Green is healthy yeah, I, we can agree to disagree on that one. I the the Browns have a strong case for the best. Tyler Boyd is better than Jarvis Landry. Fact. Well, uh, I agree that Tyler. If I'm looking at dynasty, I'm looking at Tyler Boyd. Uh, absolutely, I am. But if I'm so now you're going, now you're, the going Browns, on, now you're going AJ Green versus Odell. Who do you got? Oh, absolutely, Odell. If if we're both healthy in a vacuum, I'm not sure. I'm going. I'm going Odell. AJ Green, especially getting, in the two systems they're in. AJ Green's going to get his work, but Odell is Odell. You take Odell when you have the opportunity. 
I think I think I got I think I have an argument. But let's move on. We've gone long enough. Uh, so uh, they don't really have a tight end, do they? Uh, well, they have Azuma. I mean, not a lot of people talked about him. He's twenty-seven from Auburn. Uh, he he did make some noise last year. He's going to be a one of the top to mid tight end two. He's nothing. I mean, exciting. He's not one of the top tier guys, and he falls more to that middle uh, tier. So snag him late if you have an opportunity. All right, the Steelers. So you have uh, Big Ben and Big Head Rudolph. So uh, Big Ben had an interesting week, didn't he? Well, did he? Do you did you see his uh, his revelation that came out? Oh, I did. Yes, with yes, I did. Uh, in, in that in that youth group summit he was in. Yeah, great way to open up there by Big Ben and get some things off his chest. Sure. So uh, maybe. Maybe going to that, getting a, being able to talk about some of those things, maybe it will help him moving forward. So I'm, uh, I think that uh, Big Ben is going to be my fourth uh, quarterback in this division from fantasy football. See, I completely disagree. I think, I think this is Ben's last good year. I think that you will see Ben perform well at home and abysmal on the road, like we've come to know in the past few years that he's played in the league. He, his weapons are there still, uh, but Big Ben is going to – I think he's going to regress. I'm not as high on Big Ben as most people are. Uh, so, he is definitely a late, late QB1, early QB2. See, I definitely wouldn't even put him that high. But uh, So, I would uh, – if but if I had to pick between, you know, a Baker or a, uh, a Big Ben to put on my bench to – possibly play in a redraft you know no more than three or four weeks in a, in a particular year I mean I'm taking Big Ben yeah you were right about I had a, I had that a little high it was he's probably more of like a mid to late QB2 and if I'm in that same situation I'm absolutely going with Baker Mayfield uh, over Big Ben um, but that's just personal opinion I think I just I have a gut feeling uh, looking at some of the I, he just plays so bad away from home, so bad. I mean, you can look at the Steelers, the Steelers' schedule though, and and map them out a nine and zero start. Yeah, but the nine and zero start does not mean that Big Ben's going to be a reason for that. You've got James Conner, uh, who's going to be a huge part of what they're doing there. And I'm, well, you know, if if the Steelers are winning, Big Ben's throwing the ball a lot. I mean, no matter if Big Ben's out there, he's throwing the ball a lot, so he's going to get the numbers. But yeah, uh, like you're you also going to see the steel curtain uh, in that yeah. defense doing a lot of work. I think so, too. They're going to be really good this year. But uh, you mentioned James Conner. Um, he's uh, coming back from his injury, Josh. Uh, they obviously have uh, a lot of running backs that bolster the second half of that roster. Uh, what do you think about James Conner in, in his uh, – what is this, his third year? It is his third year. I think he's going to take a major step forward from that injury last year. I think the team's going to be a lot better, which is going to mean James Conner's going to be more uh, more consistent fantasy value. You're going to get a lot of work out of James Conner this year. They might ease him back at the beginning of the season just to uh, make sure that he's on the up and up and is going to be able to, you know, consistently give them help. The RB2 on this team is what gets interesting because there are so many, and there are so many people who are vying for that uh, running back or RB2 spot. Anthony McFarland, Benny Snell, and Jalen Samuels uh, are all three really good backup running backs I could see McFarland kind of getting the the edge here but it I also am really big Jalen Samuels fan 
but you'll probably see McFarlane at least start out the years at uh, running back two in, in Pittsburgh. I, there's not a lot of value there, but they are great handcuffs to watch for. Uh, definitely, and I, I think uh, Anthony McFarland. You should uh, you should go check if he's on if he's available in your dynasty league. Absolutely, great value for probably nothing right now. Maybe a few dollars on the free uh, free agent waiver. So let's go ahead and get into some of these wide receivers that they have. Obviously, Juju Smith Schuster is going to be a uh, target monster. And we know that Big Ben loves throwing the ball to Juju, uh, what probably will be their wide receiver one in 2020. Uh, if Juju takes another step forward, he could be a legit uh, dynamic yeah, player in the NFL. It, it seemed like Juju was right, right on that cusp of just becoming an, you know, a superstar wide receiver in the, in the league. Uh, and it, he, he didn't – I don't want to say he regressed, but he definitely didn't progress. Well, I you got to blame some of that to quarterback play. He did not have a good quarterback throwing the football to him last year. I mean, he still had an NFL quarterback throwing the ball. I, mean, I, I had him on a fantasy team. He was not putting up numbers. Yeah, like I said, well, there's a lot. There's a big difference from Big Ben throwing you the ball and Mason Rudolph throwing you the ball. And uh, in so. a lot of those positions that you you weren't playing from a position where you know you feel comfortable, you have to throw it every time. They're not really expecting the run, so. A lot of things were working against Steelers receiver receiving core last year, especially Juju. Obviously, yeah. James Washington ended up thriving in that system, and you can probably attribute some of that to Mason Rudolph's uh, chemistry with Washington. In well, that, I think, yeah, I think you can also attribute that to uh, uh, really Juju stepping into that wide receiver one role after AB left, and then you know, uh, of course, Big Ben going down. All of the offense, all of the defensive pressure, all of the defensive focus, of course, is going to be, be then on Juju, um, leaving things open for, for James Washington. Yeah, so I actually think that uh, instead of James Washington, I think Washington's going to regress without Mason Rudolph throwing the ball. I think Deontay Johnson is going to be huge for this offense. He's going to be the Tyler Boyd of the Steelers, and I am very excited for Deontay Johnson. And if you can snag him in a dynasty league, I am absolutely doing so. See, I disagree that uh, Mason Rudolph made James Washington better. I think the only reason Mason Rudolph stayed in, stayed in the game, in those games, was because of James Washington. Um, that chemistry that you spoke on, uh, his ability to just find James Washington on a random out route to get them a first down when he really needed it, I think that's what kept him on the field um, and on the Steelers roster. Uh, so I think, uh, I think James Washington is really going to – uh, I don't, I'm not sure if he's going to progress any, but I don't think he's going to regress any. Is he, where is he playing? Well, I'm not sure, but he led them in, in receiving yards last year. He's absolutely going to, to regress a little bit. He's not, he won't be the leading receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, so uh, tight ends. I really like their tight I'm so stuck on Eric Ebron. Well, that's I, we couldn't be more different. I do not like Eric Ebron. I just have so – oh, I hate him. Oh, Josh, I hate him. <laughs> Has he burned you once or twice? I think he's burned me. I think he's literally scored zero points for me three different times. Yeah, I don't want him anywhere near any fantasy team that I ever run. It's not but that he I, doesn't have value. I mean, he's playing now here in Pittsburgh, and, you know, he has an opportunity to make some noise. There's some but... stock there, Josh, and I'm, I'm buying it. Well, you can have all of you want it because I will not take it. But like you said, he does have a little bit of value, a little bit of – there's quite a bit of stock there. Uh, so how do you feel about Vance McDonald? I, I'm really not sure. Not, I haven't heard much on the guy. 
Uh, I mean, Vance McDonald's Vance McDonald. He's going to – he's consistent. Um, he's boring. He's not flashy. But with the addition of Eric Ebron, Vance McDonald is going to kind of get that backup tight end role, kind of what we saw from – what we're going to see from Cameron Brayton, in my opinion, like I mentioned earlier. He's it's going to be very diminished that he won't see a lot of action uh, fantasy-wise from Vance McDonald. I'm not drafting him at all. I think uh, if we see – Eric Ebron come back um, and be the same Eric Ebron as he has been in the past couple of years. I think Vance McDonald actually has a pretty good chance of taking over that tight end one spot. But uh, let's move on to the obvious uh, winner of this division and possibly winner of the conference, winner of the National Football League of the 2020 football season, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Josh, this is your team. I'll let you start. So as a member of the flock, I am excited to, uh, to get into this. Obviously one of the most elite quarterbacks in the National Football League, Lamar Jackson. If you are starting up a dynasty league, uh, Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson are your one and two quarterbacks off the board. No matter what the situation is, they are a cut above the rest. And Lamar Jackson has great upside with his wheels. The man is fast. The man can run and he will get touchdowns without getting hit too many times. Uh, There's been a lot of talk of him working on his Accuracy downfield, uh, footwork, knowledge of the game, the system that he plays in. So I could not be more excited for a 23-year-old Lamar Jackson heading into 2020. I mean, he's obviously the most electric player that I've ever seen, um, live anyways, um, probably, in, uh, honestly, in any sport. Uh, yeah, Josh, I'm very excited to see uh, Lamar Jackson in a system where he's going to learn – he's going to know a little bit more than he did last year, obviously um, – and in a season where, I mean, the same thing we're talking about with the NBA, everyone is on the same uh, level of rust playing field. And I think uh, Lamar Jackson is going to dominate in that sense. So uh, let's move on to the actual running backs. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram, Justice Hill, where do they rank for you? So I, in redraft leagues, I'm taking Mark Ingram first on this team, then J.K. Dobbins, then Justice Hill way later. Uh, most of my stock is in Ingram and Dobbins. I think that you're going to see – I mentioned this before because uh, I am a Ravens fan. You're going to see a one-two punch similar to Ingram and Kamara. And I think that Dobbins is going to end up getting quite a bit of production out of this. He's going to play uh, very well. He's one of the more complete backs in this rookie class. And I think that you're going to see a lot of work out of this. You could see some three, uh, I say three running back sets, uh, two running backs and Lamar Jackson. So essentially three running backs there for a lot of option plays. And they could have a lot of fun on this offense. So, I think that Dobbins is going to take a huge step forward. If I'm in a dynasty league, I'm looking at Dobbins to take my team forward. I think that uh, Mark Ingram has a year or two left to really have uh, any kind of production with Baltimore, and then they will move on. So I'm extremely high on Dobbins in uh, dynasty setups. In redraft, I'm a little bit higher on Ingram this year. I think that he'll get the the bulk of the work, at least for the um, for the first over the first half of the season. But Dobbins is right, going to be right there in the mix the entire time. It's going to be a great one-two punch uh, for this running back tandem. So uh, I, I'm, we're pretty much aligned on J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram, uh, but Justice Hill, I think he's going to, I think he's going to find a nice role as a pass catching back, but more as a speedster. I think he's going to find a, a nice role as an, as maybe a slot receiver. I think uh, maybe something like that. He could really, uh, really find a nice role in his offense. And then you, you mentioned, you know, possibly a, basically a three running back. Uh, setback there with Lamar Jackson but Josh they could have J.K. Dobbins Mark Ingram uh, Lamar Jackson in the backfield with then Justice Hill and Marquise Brown on the outside 
I mean, imagine, I mean, that, that is insane to even think about. They do have a lot of depth and a lot of option at the running back position. I just, it's, if I'm looking at this, I don't trust Justice Hill uh, going in any kind of draft, maybe as a late, late handcuff, but that, that's about it uh, from a uh, fantasy think- perspective. For the team, it's, it's exciting for the things that Baltimore is going to be able to do this year, but from a fantasy perspective, I personally am not putting any stock in Justice Hill. I think besides um, the Raven, I mean, besides the Browns, um, Justice Hill has as much value as any uh, backup in this division. Yeah, uh, I would use him as a late handcuff. I can agree there. So uh, with the tight end, it's pretty obvious Mark Andrews has that job locked up. Um, Is there anybody we should look out for? Maybe if uh, Mark Andrews goes down, uh, maybe – uh, maybe somebody could possibly take his job in camp. Anybody we should know about, Josh? Uh, I mean, the only other guy really that's even rostered, they traded away Hayden Hurst. Uh, so, you know, they put all their stock, all their faith into Mark Andrews. Nick Boyle's the other tight end there, 27 years old. Um, but I don't think that he's going to see the field much. I think that uh, Mark Andrews is going to be the guy there. How healthy was Mark Andrews last year? Uh, very. I don't think he was out. I'm pretty sure of- I had him. I think he missed at least two games for him. I thought he had some kind of back problem last year. So I'm looking at his game log from last year, and if there was any point where he was injured, it would have been week seven through nine, uh, and he still played, and week eight was a bye week. So he had uh, six points a bye week and then four points. So, I mean, that would be the only thing that I could uh, I could imagine where he might have had an injury. Other than that, uh, he was a pretty good tight end for your, uh, for your fantasy football league uh, last year, and I think that's going to carry right over. Yep, I agree. Uh, if he can, if he can maintain that health, obviously anybody in that role uh, is going to amass great, great numbers. Uh, Josh, this was a lot of fun. I always enjoy fantasy football well, Friday. Uh, I, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off real quick. Right. We're get back into these wide receivers. Which ones did we miss? Well, uh, Baltimore's. We didn't hit the wide receivers. Uh, so just real quick, there's not a lot to talk about here. Uh, Marquise Brown is the most exciting wide receiver on this uh, on the team here. Uh, speedster get downfield he's going to make a lot of plays him and Lamar Jackson have a great uh, chemistry already Uh, then you have a second year Miles Boykin coming in as another uh, great runner very fast Uh, what makes this team so exciting to watch is their dynamic ability on offense similar to the Kansas City Chiefs and then two other ones that I'm going to mention Willie Sneed a veteran who uh, is going to catch the ball he will get you first downs Uh, he will probably get quite a few touchdowns this year he's uh, targeted quite a bit in the red zone and then a rookie to watch out for that can make some noise uh, just to provide some stability to this team. Uh, not necessarily a speedster, but someone who can just make plays. And that's Devin DuVernay. Uh, I think that uh, he has a lot of potential. If I'm in a, a dynasty uh, rookie draft, I'm looking at him for uh, that third, fourth round pick, uh, maybe pick him up off a of free agency. Yep, I think those are, those are both good calls. And like I said, Josh, uh, you should not discredit Justice Hill's uh, pass-catching ability and uh, John Harbaugh's ability to scheme guys, uh, you know, into new positions, basically. So uh, look for Justice Hill in that slot position. All right, I will keep that in mind. This was a great, great fantasy football Friday. I love breaking down the Ravens. Anytime I get to talk about the Ravens, it uh, makes my day a little bit better. I know, I know it does, Josh. I know you're excited to do this one. And I had a lot of fun. Uh, I look forward to doing it next week, and I look forward to talking to you for Monday's show. All right, man. Well, we will see you. Have a good weekend. Yep, you do the same, buddy.